you have a Bible, Nehemiah chapter 8. Happy Father's Day to all the dads. Really excited. I hope to encourage you with my message. God has just really touched my heart as I was preparing and had all this planned out for what these three weeks would look like. And as it's just changed and morphed, and it's just been a discovery for me. I've, I've learned so many new things that I can't wait to share with you. Uh, but Nehemiah chapter 8, the title of my message is Heads Up. Heads Up. It says in verse 1 of Nehemiah 8, all the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the scribe, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women and others who could understand, and all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood, this is my favorite when I get to read names that are hard to pronounce, Mathijah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Messiah. I always, you know, include these and don't skip over them in case there's any expecting mothers who are like, I just don't know where I'm going with a Bible name. I just want to throw out some often overlooked gems. On his left were Padiah, Mishael, Makajah, Hashum, Hashabadah, no, 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 no. Zechariah and Moshulam. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, people all stood up. Almost just this reverence and this, this humility. It's beautiful. Ezra praised the Lord, verse 6 says. The great God and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Joshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Jozebad, Hanan, and Peliah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. And then don't miss this. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. And Jesus, we ask that exactly that would happen. That we would understand. You would give us ears to hear, eyes to see. And then we would have wisdom to take the right steps necessary this week for there to be that next level of not just comprehension, but then application. We don't just want to hear your word. We want to do it. We want to be changed and transformed and then to be agents of that change. And I pray for every single person listening to this message that it, won't, it would almost be like, the, the, the multiplied thousands and, and people all over the place listening to it, it would all just, it would, it would in this moment just be them and you, you speaking a word to them in season, which we're in faith believing you're going to do. But we also have the faith to ask for you to speak a word to us out of season that we would receive eagerly even something that we don't know we need for a coming season or, or trial. And we ask this believing for salvation, believing for change in Jesus' name. Amen. Heads up. That's what we say when trying to give someone like advanced warning, right? Like, heads up, boss is in a mood. You know, <laughs> heads up, right? Like, 
I'm going to need the Zoom room in the home, like the one you know, good backdrop, right, to your, your spouse. I'm going to need the Zoom room this week, uh, Tuesday. You've got to, like, coordinate Zoom times, right? Uh, or, uh, you know, one, one that's, like, for sure applicable for us and happens and causes so much frustration is, uh, heads up, there's a package coming that needs a signature. Because there's nothing more frustrating than coming home and finding that sticker on your door. Ah, right? Signature required. It's like the bane of my existence. I understand why they do it. So we don't have to like get all YouTube guy and put glitter bombs and stuff in our packages. But, but heads up. Like we're just telling someone like, just so you know, something's coming. Heads up. Uh, heads up that movie's gory. Watch. There's going to be a scene where you need to cover your kids. That's heads up. Uh, this is going to be on the test. Heads up. This is going to be discussed in that meeting. So any thinking you do on that subject uh, beforehand is going to be time well spent. Heads up, we let people know uh, this is coming. So I'm just wanting to give you warning so you're not caught off guard. It's appropriate. Heads up, this idea as sort of like a, an overarching theme for Ezra's ministry. Now, if you are just joining us now and you haven't been with us the last two weeks, we're in sort of a trilogy of messages that are uh, examining the things that a church should focus on, the things that should be present inside a church's ministry focus in order for us to do what we can to see our city flourish. If we're going to see the place that, that we live in flourish and, and be revitalized and see, uh, see beauty rise from the ashes and see something glorious rise from the ruins, well, we need to follow after the example of Esther and Nehemiah and Ezra. Esther is where we began. And she gives us not only permission, but the call to speak up where needed, to speak up against the oppressed, to speak up for the oppressed, to raise our mouths uh, by speaking out against injustice, leveraging platform, leveraging influence, regardless of the, the risks, to care for and do what we can to help those who are underprivileged or oppressed. And, and so Esther taught us that well. Nehemiah teaches us that we as a people who call ourselves the followers of Jesus should also care for the physical needs of a city. We should care that the blood banks are stocked. We should care that the, the homeless shelters uh, have the lights turned on and the heating bill paid, the air conditioning bill paid. We should, we should be invested in the situation where there's refugees who need to get a backpack and a toiletry kit and a dignity kit. What a wonderful concept. Just, it should be on our hearts that, that we're not just saying, be warmed and be filled, but we're putting some food on the table. Nehemiah says, like, it's amazing that you're praying for me. But what I really need is walls. What I really need is someone who's going to care enough to write a check. What I really need is someone who's going to care enough to pay for what they're praying for. Nehemiah says, don't just raise your voice like Esther, but also rise up. Rise up to build. Rise up to rock the city. Rise up to do the things that are necessary in order for the city to flourish. Yeah. Last but not least, we come to Ezra. Ezra balances it all out. And, and as we consider Ezra's contribution, I'll have you know that none of these should be the only thing we're doing. That would be to like skip leg day, right? <laughs> Overdeveloped biceps, underdeveloped legs, like just shoot me from the waist up. I, 
I uh, don't have any calves. Just broomsticks coming out of my gym shorts, ladies and gentlemen, right? Like, like no, you, you want, we want to be balanced. And, and, and for us as a church, we've, we've said, I've said that I'm learning more and more how to uh, take the call of God, which we spent the whole first sermon just going to passage after passage after passage about how much justice matters to God, so much so that it's in his name. And we're going to be people called by his name. I can't tell you how many times people have said, you stop talking about that, just get back to the gospel. But to do so is to misrepresent the name of someone who justice literally is in his name, that he cares for those who are being oppressed. But we're seeking to be a beautiful blend of all of these things. And the power is not just to be an Esther ministry, not just to be an Ezra ministry, but to really find the power of all of the above. So what does it mean to uh, follow in the footsteps of Ezra? Ezra is going to really tell us to tell people to have their heads up. Heads up. You see, Esther, Ezra is all about the temple. The book of Ezra is all about the people of God doing what they did in the book of Exodus, that is leaving oppression and returning to Israel. Leaving oppression and going to Israel. That happens in the book of Ezra. Two different groups, one spearheaded by a dude named Zerubbabel, one spearheaded by Ezra himself. There's a 60-year-long gap in between Ezra 6 and Ezra 7 where the book of Esther takes place. So these events, this going back to, uh, to Israel, going, going, back, back to, OK, stop, sorry. Uh, it's all about the temple for Ezra. And then Nehemiah later goes, well, yeah, it's great to got the temple. But we're going to need some walls around it, y'all. And then when the walls were done and the temple was done, there was a, a revival that broke out. There was a spiritual emphasis that, that took place. And that is what we read about, where they built this big platform, and Ezra stood up on it. And, and, uh, and Nehemiah made sure all the, per the permits got pulled for the platform and the PA and the sound permits. Right? All, he's just like thought that way, right? systems guy. He was, he was, he was, he was plumbing and poetry. And so Ezra then could, could speak from God's word. His, his ministry, he wasn't so much concerned with the, the, the physical needs. He wasn't as uh, concerned as Esther with raising his voice for the oppressed. He was uh, calling people evangelistically to trust in Jesus. He was calling people. Uh, we would say the Ezra ministry within the church is the Bible teaching. It's the discipleship. It's the, the spiritual formation. It's, it's how is someone assimilated? How do they discover their gifts and their contribution? It's in our terminology, someone going through crash course and figuring out how they've been uniquely you know, built by the Holy Spirit to serve and make a difference. And, and so Ezra is all about these things. And we find the power in all three, the rising up, the speaking up, and the heads up. I call it heads up because it's just so much of, of, of raising from the earth to the heavens. It's so much like what Paul says in Colossians 3, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. That's heads up ministry. We come to this moment of seeking God through his scripture, of seeking God through singing, of worshiping God through giving. Why? Because we want to lift our heads up. We want to remember that this earth and, and the things that are happening here, while important, are not what's ultimate. And that there is a hereafter, there is a forever. And long after the Instagram likes and TikTok dances and, and dollars and cents in the bank accounts, long, long after style and man-made institutions have come and gone and turned to dust, there will be a kingdom that cannot be shaken, the kingdom of heaven, which suffers violence and the violent 
take it by force. We're saying heads up. We're saying like what Jesus said in Luke 21, look up and lift up your heads because redemption, your redemption draws near. The church must never forget the Ezra ministry, the prophetic voice, the call to the, the, the call that includes a warning that this life is going to end. It was Amos who said, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. That's Ezra ministry. That's saying, hey, let's remember there is a hereafter. Let's remember that life is a vapor and you blink and it's going to be done and you're going to be standing before God. The, the Ezra call comes in the book of Hebrews when it says that it is appointed for man once to die and then comes the judgment. Don't be foolish. It's foolish to focus only on this vapor of a life and forget about all of eternity. That's the voice of Ezra. And we must not simply be feeding homeless people and not talking about their souls. Jesus said that the drinking of the water of this world, while important and not one cup of water given out in his name will, will be forgotten, but must not be uh, the only water we give out because Jesus said that I offer living water. And if anyone drinks this water, that his, 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 his thirst will be quenched and there shall be, John 7, rivers of living water proceeding from his heart. So we must not just be Esther or just be Nehemiah, but there is a call of God on every church and on every Christian to take part in the Ezra ministry the heads-up ministry, which is warning, yes, but it's not just warning. It's also comfort. When we speak in the prophetic, when we speak through the Spirit, when we turn people's attention to scriptures, we don't just warn the comfortable. We also comfort the brokenhearted. And that is our God. Psalm 3, verse 3, but you, O Lord, are a shield for me. You're my glory. And notice, you're the one who lifts my head. Heads up. The comfort that comes from the Holy Spirit is the comfort that comes to someone who's downtrodden, to someone who's brokenhearted, to someone who is afflicted. And he tenderly lifts up that, gives new strength, gives new power, breathes out his love. You're the lifter of my head. I hope you're thankful that even today, as you feel discouraged, as you feel like a failure in some way or another, that your God tenderly lifts up your head. He's a shield for you. He's the one who, who gives new power to weary knees. He's the one who arms that are falling. He will lift your arms up. And in this regard, I feel that this message on Ezra, the Ezra ministry that we're called to at Fresh Life is perfect for us to give our thoughts to, our attention to on Father's Day. For there is there's no greater way to articulate what is meant to be in the, the beating heart of a dad than the, the tenderness of someone who's lifting up the head of the little ones that he loves. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, we find one of the clearest assignments spoken to fathers anywhere in scripture, and it says this, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, it's been said, and I've, I've said it. When I say it's been said, I mean, I've, I've said it a ton of times in the years that I've been leading this church and trying to teach through the Bible. And um, uh, the, the, the New Testament took place as it was originally written in the midst of the Roman Empire. 
And so to understand the dynamics at play within the family structure is insightful as we uh, make sense of these instructions. For he doesn't say, you know, Dad, do you need to be a leader? Dad, do you need to have authority? Dad, do you need to exercise your authority? In fact, it was the opposite problem that he more spoke to because of what was the norm in that day, and that was the, the rule with an iron fist of the Roman dad. In the Roman Empire, there was something called patria potestas, and it was the, the rule of the father. A, a father could literally sell his kids into slavery. I mean, he could do anything. The, there was life and death in the power of the father. So there was, that was assumed, that was given, which uh, is why he chooses to use his words to regulate it. To, so, to regulate. So what he doesn't say is as telling as what he does, but what he doesn't say is because of what we know of what, that was going on in that time. What he was doing is saying, you have this, that doesn't mean you need to use it. You have this power to just bark orders and expect your kids to wait on you and, and your, your wife to be subservient. You have it, that doesn't mean you need to use it. Fathers, he says, don't exact, to do that, to be basically Jabba the Hutt in your own home, would be to exasperate your children. Instead, he says, distinction to that, what would be normal, what is normal, what is what your neighbors no doubt are doing. Instead of that, I show you a better way. Here's a brand new way to be human. This is that Ezra voice now saying, instead, be an Ezra in your home by bringing them up. Br bring them up. Don't slam down on them. Don't crash down on them. Instead, he says, bring them up. Heads up, heads up in the home. Your job, dad, is to fight for heads to be lifted up. Heads up in the home. The training and admonition, the training and instruction, the training and nurture of the Lord. When he says don't exasperate your children, one translation says don't provoke them to wrath, which it almost seems like, is he saying don't make your kids mad? No, listen, you're going to make your kids mad plenty. That's an unrealistic expectation. In fact, I would submit to you, you probably can't do a good job in, 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 in this heads-up way if there's never times, and we'll explain that in a moment, that you make your kids mad. What he's saying is don't live in such a way around your kids that you, out of your house is proceeding angry children, angry people, people with a deep, smoldering sense of resentment and anger based on what you did in the home. There's a difference between angry and, and being an angry person. Um, he's saying, fight for the heads to be raised, not low. We're always telling our kids, heads up. When you receive instruction, when you receive heads up. Heads, we're not crashing down on you. We're not mad at you. We love you. That's why we correct. We love you, and that's why we're, we're coaching. Heads up. And you have to study your children to know and understand how each of them uniquely is wired. Because what will cause one of your children's heads to go up in the air with pride and, and strength and, and, and feel your pleasure and feel that love will cause another one of them to cringe Heslo. <laughs> you have to really study your children. And for me, Daisy is as different as Clover, as Lennox is from Olivia and, and, and Linya in her own way, just unique. And although we're seeing a lot of Linya in, in Lennox, that's for dang sure. A lot of that wild uh, eyes of a lion in, in that little man. Um, but but the, the reality is every single one of your children are unique, fearfully and wonderfully made. And it's your job to study and assess. And a good question to talk about with your small group this, be, this week or to talk about with your, your wife this week would, would be to ask the question, what uh, causes their heads up? What, what causes their heads down? Right? What, what is it that, 
that's unique about how this child is wired. I've made a little list of some things that this passage and the life of Ezra show us that should be focal points for us as, as fathers. If you're a single mother, these, these, these would apply to you as well. Uh, focal points as we seek to, to lift the heads up in our home, but also as we as a church seek to lift the heads up in our, in our city. The first and the second are discipline and instruction. And I want you to focus on both of these because we, we can't just talk about one and, and not the other because they, they're meant to work together. He says, don't provoke your children to wrath. Don't exasperate your kids. But instead, he says, this should be something, training and instruction that you focus on. Training and instruction. Or as I put it, discipline and instruction. Because I think that if you actually look, and I pulled out and I blew off the dust all a bunch of dictionaries this week, that is not the best translation to see training. Because what it actually means is discipline. We're talking about actual punishment. We're talking about actual, like, this is tough. This is a challenging conversation. This is, this is, this is a grounded timeout, spanked. Like, this is, this is something that's not wonderful in the mouth, in the, plus, in the present moment. Uh, this is discipline. That's what he intends for it to be, which at times uh, is like, I don't know if I want to do that. I want, I want my kids to like me. Is this going to you know, mess them up? But the Bible says the only father that doesn't discipline his children is a father that doesn't love his children. And the father that loves his child disciplines them. Now, it's not fun to receive discipline. And the Bible says that too. No discipline is fun while you're getting it. Uh, and no discipline, I would say, is fun while you're giving it. But what we don't want is to be undisciplined people. And we don't want, as we look into our children's future, our children to be undisciplined. I would ask you, do you want your child to be undisciplined financially? Undisciplined when it comes to impulse control? Undisciplined relationally? Undisciplined in their life? Like we just can't make decisions, can't commit, is not a person of their word, is not a person of integrity, is not a person who can, can stop themselves from, from doing things that would be harmful to them. Undisciplined with, when it comes to peer pressure? Of course we're not. not. We want our children, like to see an athlete, to see someone who's successful, you say, that person's disciplined. We would say, we would praise that. Y'all, the only way to get too disciplined is to get disciplined and to give discipline. So receiving it, reframing it, I don't want this, uh, I love them so much. No, you, if you love them so much, you would discipline them. But it would be discipline and instruction. Discipline and instruction. He says these two together because they're like the, 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 the two things that pull, I don't know, what do they call those things on a train? Chugga, 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 chugga. Discipline, instruction. Discipline, instruction. Discipline, instruction. That's how these come across. Instruction, what is that? Well, you could actually put the word counsel down. Like if you went to a counselor to get counsel, like I need counsel, I need counseling, I need help, what would they do? If they're a good counselor, they would listen more than they talk. I've found that the most effective counseling involves a massive amount of listening. And so if you want to be a counselor, you're not just rushing in with discipline. You're not just, here's the rules, and here's this firm thing, and I'm, here's the boundaries. That's, that's important, but it's, it's, it's the discipline and counseling, listening, 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 encouragement, speaking life. What's going on? How can I urge you on? How can I nurture you? If it's all of one and not enough of the other, they will be exasperated. They will feel like, I can't, I can't do anything right. So it, it, this is where you, you're, you're a friend to them when you're giving them instruction. You're sitting beside them. You're not just coming down hard on them. And just as it's a mistake to under-discipline, it is also a mistake to over-discipline. So I think back on my life, one of the most important spankings in my entire life, and I have a lot of them 
that I'm thankful for today. One of the most important ones was one I didn't get, but I deserved. It was not often that this would happen, but one time my dad chose to teach me a lesson about the difference between mercy and grace and justice. Justice is where you get what you deserve. Mercy is where you don't get what you deserve. Grace is where you get what you don't deserve. So when I deserved a spanking uh, one time, he said, you deserve it, and it would be justice for you to get it. I said, I can't argue with that. And he said, if I didn't give you the spanking, that would be mercy. But instead, what we're going to do tonight is we're going to go out to ice cream. And that's grace. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. And in that moment, which, which I deserve discipline, but he chose to, 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 to be an instructor and to give me an object lesson, it has stuck with me in a significant way. And we as parents need the Holy Spirit speaking and whispering into our hearts. We need counsel from friends. We need our Fresh Life group around us. We need the community and the tribe of Jesus people around us. So we're not just listening to the, to the latest you know, parenting, worldly wisdom, whatever, that we're, we're, we're looking to scripture and talking to each other, doing life together, people who can see our kids. I don't know if this kid's flourishing. Yeah, I've noticed that too. Let's pray together. Let's, let's encourage each other in this. Here's what I'm trying. Here's, here's where you're weak. Here's what I'm seeing that you don't see. What are my blind spots? This is so, 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 so essential. Discipline, instruction. Number three is opportunity. As we're leading, as we're parenting, Dad, we need to be thinking about the opportunity for our kids. Opportunity to what? Opportunity to make the wrong call. Space to fail. The chance to blow it and end up in discipline or to, to receive more instruction. We, we can't just coach and, 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 and discipline them when they make the wrong one. We have to give them more space to do it again. And it becomes hard. And the, the conversation of trust is involved. And, and it's complicated. And it's messy. And it's not pretty. But we have to have the mentality in our minds the entire time from when we are holding them in our arms that there's coming a day when our intention, our goal is to shoot them out. Children are arrows in the hand of a warrior. And so the goal from the beginning is that there's coming a day where they're launched out, where they're, where they're released. What that means then is that we have to be incrementally and gradually moving them towards that moment. And that's what Paul means when he says, raise them up. Don't exasperate your children. Instead, <coughs> bring or instead raise them up. And in that Greek word is the idea of a gradual raise. We don't want it to just be one day they're just like having to go from here to here. They've spent their whole life under your thumb, their whole life with you making every decision for them, which is so easy to do because it's a child and you're like, you are delicate and you are so dumb, right? Because you're little and you don't know what you don't know and you're going to make foolish decisions. So I just want to hug you and wrap you in bubble wrap and put your helmet on all the time, right? And we want to we wanna meet every person and then and make every difficult decision. But there has to be space given, opportunity given for them to develop grit. And the only way, those of you who lead teams, those of you who are, are, are a parent, those of you who lead people in any way, nobody can develop leadership skills without the grit that comes from being able to make a decision and making the wrong one sometimes and then debriefing it and processing it and going, all right, that didn't go so good. Dave Ramsey talks about uh, the idea of rope as a parent. You give your kids a little bit of rope. All right, here, you're going to be able to do this. And you're going to be able to go here. And uh, here's a phone. And, and the idea of driving, all these things, there's opportunities to give rope. If you don't in your head think that there's coming a day when the entire rope is in their hands, 
You're crazy because then they're just going to go from zero to 60 and have all the capacity given to them with no preparation for it. They didn't get opportunity to get a little bit of rope here, a little bit of rope here, the chance to go, OK, you did bad with that rope. We're going to reel some of that in. OK, yeah, that's not happening so much. Not around here, mister. Love you too much. So you're not ready. For, but, the, but the goal has to come again. Well, they're coming again where that rope is reeling out. Or otherwise, you're just handing them the entire rope and going to see them flounder when they all of a sudden have all of the weight of all the responsibilities of life crushing down upon them. And it is a mistake to keep your children too dependent on you. From the beginning, looking at it as, I want to incrementally move them towards independence. I'm wanting to work myself out of a job as being the adult in their life. And that hopefully the new resident adult will exist because you coaxed that adult out of their heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. There has to be that opportunity. You have to be willing to let go. Presence is the fourth word. You should be thinking about your presence in the home. Because everything we're talking about, to discipline, to, to train, to have the counseling conversations, the advice, the opportunity to know what is the right amount of rope for this season, it implies being present that you have to be there. No one else can show up for you in the same way that you can. You, Father, verse 4 in the message, are to take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. That's your job. Hey, follow me. Watch me. I'm going to take you by the hand. Think about a vine that grows. A vine can only grow properly if a trellis is put out. The trellis is there to guide how the vine's going to grow. So it's not just unruly growth and wild growth and chaotic growth. It will never be fruitful growth. We're to provide for our children a framework. That's why the, the, the ministry of Ezra is so important. Here's the way. Here's the trellis. Here's the wire stretched out. Here's how we want that growth to happen. Here's how to think about money. Here's how to think about sex. Here's how to think biblically about these things. We're providing through our presence there the trellis for the vine to grow. And it's challenging because we want to provide for our kids, provide for our family, and we can make the mistake of, 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 of not being there because we're so busy being elsewhere to provide the better life for them, to provide what we didn't have. But the Bible says it would be better to eat a simple meal of herbs where love is present than to dwell in a house of hatred. But you'd be eating the fatted calf filet mignon every night, but you're not there emotionally or you're not there physically for it to be enjoyed with. What's the matter? I, don't I pay for your college? What's the matter? Don't I provide a nice house for you and all the toys? They don't want toys. They want you at the end of the day. It would be better to have a very simple life, but love and the presence of that, that joy and that quality of life that comes from relationship and wholeness and peace than have everything else, but, but no one's enjoying it. Presence. And then number fifth is submission. You're like, finally, about time we got to that. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about submission to you as the head. I'm talking about submission from you for the head, that you're submitted to the head. And that is the greatest example you can provide in your home, that you would model submission. That's why in Nehemiah chapter 8, when Ezra got up to preach, before he did, they put this platform in place. It's the, the first stage in the entire Bible that someone preached upon, a wooden platform that he was above the people as he held the Bible. The idea was, as this is being opened up, it's above us. 
that we are submitted to this, what is preached now in a moment, we're going to yield ourselves to it. We're submitted to God's word. Why? Because it's alive. As, as God's word opens up, it's the living, breathing word of God. It's his breath on a page. And as we listen to it, the, the question isn't, what do I think of it? And do I appreciate it? And did that tickle my fancy? But it's, what does God say? And how can I get my life in shape with what he says? The question is, well, hold on. What if I come across something in the Bible I don't agree with? I would just say, change your mind, because you're wrong. That's the mentality of reverence for God's word. We want to yield to our children, to yield uh, to our family, showing them that, men, that, 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 that precious example that we're yielded to God's word. Because it doesn't really matter what you or I think about scripture. It matters what God says and, how, and, and whether we are willing to come under that with a humble heart. And if we want children to go out disciplined and yielded and submitted to God's word and submitted to authority, we need to model that as well. And let me just say this. We all need to be rubbed the wrong way from time to time. I think sometimes there's the tendency to only celebrate and the danger in this online era of I can listen to so many different communicators, the danger would be then we would sort of curate for ourselves a spiritual existence devoid of conviction. And this is great so long as you're blessing me, but the moment you say something that rubs me the wrong way, I'm out. And I can just tune off and turn off and, and turn to a different channel where I can hear something uh, that, that, that conforms more to what I think. Let me just tell you something. As I preach things, I, I many times, am I, as I'm coming across them, am rubbed the wrong way by Scripture. But it doesn't matter what I think about what God says about sex or what God says about money or what God says about my call as a pastor. What matters is what did God say? The God who breathed death life out of death and who raised his son from the grave and is going to stand before us all to judge us at the end of the day. And if it's true that Jesus raised from the dead, then what does it matter? Anything else? It's all lesser than that. And so our spirit, our heart, fathers, is to model that before we're submitted to God's word. Anticipation, number six. We should have a sense and a spirit of expectation as we raise our kids, as we, as we serve. Some of you may not ever raise kids of your own, but as you're a part of the church, there's mentoring, there's, there's service, there's opportunities, and, and there's uh, the chance to be a role model to someone in this next generation. We should have anticipation for what God's going to do, not just thinking and idealizing the past. Ezra chapter 3, it's the most interesting story. The moment This is when the temple finally got done. When the builders completed the foundation of the temple, the priests put on the robes, there's music that got played. Verse 11, there's praise and thanks, and they sang a song to the Lord. What they sing, you're wondering? He is good, so good. His faithful love for Israel endures forever. Then all the people gave a great shout, praising the Lord because the foundation of the Lord's temple had been laid. But notice, but many of the old priests, Levites and other leaders who had been alive back in the day and seen the first temple wept allowed when they saw the new temple's foundation. The others, however, were shouting for joy. The joyful shouting and weeping mingled together in a loud noise that could be heard far in the distance. What's happening here? Well, first let me say that there's 
a beauty in the fact that from a distance you couldn't hear what was actually going on. It was just a loud noise. And let me just say, as worship goes to heaven, there's room in the worship for every emotion. There's room in the worship for sorrow. There's room in the worship for whatever's going on in your heart. But now let me pick on the older generation for a moment who were choosing to weep over what they saw that was different from what they used to have instead of celebrating what was new in front of them. And I think sometimes that can be a mistake we make where we just compare this future generation, how they choose to spend their time, and what they, what has, they, they didn't ask for, the generation that, that, that received the world as it is in this moment. And we can choose to just look in our minds at the past and the former glory. It's not like when I was a kid, and these kids these days don't have a work ethic, and you know, whatever, whatever, about, about millennials, and I don't understand TikTok, and, 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 and I'm asking for a friend. And you could so focus on the past that you miss out on what's happening. Here's my encouragement to you. Don't live in the past and don't be fooled by the present. Instead, believe God for what he's going to do in the future. And when I say don't be fooled by it, I'm, I'm saying what we see in front of us is a seed. It's just a start. They were crying, but it was just a foundation. They were crying, but it was just the beginning. It wasn't done yet. They were already crying over something that wasn't even done yet. It wasn't even fully formed yet. It wasn't even built up yet. But if they would give their heart to it, it could be something magnificent. It could be something grand. And where God is concerned, Haggai, a contemporary of Ezra, said it this way. He said that the glory of the latter temple will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. In this place, I will give peace. And what he wants us all as fathers to see is not just how the past was different and in our minds better and how what's happened happening here is so small, and I don't see anything good that can come from it. We should believe that God is tr trying and preparing to build something new, something greater, something glorious, and he's going to do it out of this generation. And through this generation, he's going to raise up a, a young men and women who are going to be about him bringing peace to this world. And it doesn't have to look how we think it's going to look. We don't have to understand it. We're not called to control it. We're called to build towards it. We're called to fight for it. We're called to call out the kings inside our sons and the queens inside our daughters and to be a part of saying, it's not much right now, but it's going to be. And I'll leverage everything I have and I'll give my last breath to see this foundation stone become the great and glorious temple. I believe in this generation. I believe in this next movement. I believe in your ability to hear God. I believe in the dreams inside of you. I believe in the businesses inside of you. I believe in the young men and women of Fresh Life Church. I believe in the boys and girls of our church. It's a stone right now. It's just a slab right now. But but we're going to build it up. We're going to see it grow. We're going to see it increase. We're going to speak life over it. We're going to live with a sense of anticipation. I can't believe that, that God would trust us with this generation and this internet. We're going to pour oil on this fire and see it flame up to light the whole world. Anticipation. How are we going to do that? We're going to prepare our hearts. And before we even make a comment and open up our Facebook and get curmudgeonly. We're going to prepare our hearts. My favorite verse in the entire book of Ezra is Ezra 7.10. You see him preaching. You see him ministering. It's like, dang, gee, how did you get here? Look at verse, seven, verse, verse 10, chapter 7. Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. This great day in Nehemiah 8, he's preaching. And I didn't get to tell you why the names are given. And I, I didn't omit them for a reason. All those were small group leaders. And after Ezra's sermon, he sent those names, all the hot tub and every single one of them, he sent them out into the crowd. And he had them lead discussions. 
The watch party ended and they all turned to each other and said, all right, well, what are you going to do with this? How are you applying this? How can I pray for you in this way? He sent those leaders out to do small group discussion that it might not just be information, but be application that leads to transformation and then infiltration into a world to seek the flourishing of the city. And so we must prepare our hearts and be willing to do the things necessary to get the community around us so that we will live in a sense of anticipation and build up our faith and not just make our assessments and our opinions based on the, the news that we watch and the Reddit comments that we read in the forum and, and seek out the information that confirms our suspicions or that feeds into our political ideologies because I got news for you. We are not meant as Jesus people to be perfectly summarized, summarized by any man-made system in this world. And there's going to be parts and ways where we feel tugged at. You know, I've got it. I guess I, I care about life, but not just when they're in the womb. I care about life after the womb. Yeah, yes, I care about black lives. But you know, yes, I also care about police life. We're not going to be able to fit anywhere perfectly. But what we're going to do is listen to the Holy Spirit build up our faith and let God's word build up our faith. And we have to constantly be preparing our hearts or we'll miss moments. Amen. Here's the beautiful thing about Ezra being ready here in this moment because he had prepared for it. You never have to get ready if you stay ready. And if we'll as a church stay ready and stay scrappy and stay fighting and stay giving as, as we continue, the internet, no, no, no gatherings, no gatherings, whatever it looks like that, that we're continually fighting to keep God's word, guiding our hearts, we will always be ready with anticipation for what's next. Lastly, I'm almost done. Identity. Identity. And I don't know if you see that, but there's seven. If we'll focus on these seven, if we'll keep up these seven, it'll be heads up, seven up. <laughs> Identity. I'm sorry. I apologize for that. It's easy as a dad to take your identity from being a father, but that would be a mistake. If you take your identity, if your identity is dad, if your identity is father, you'll either over-discipline or under-discipline your kids. You'll under-discipline them if your identity comes from their approval. And many of us have just want our kids to like us, want our kids to celebrate us, want our kids to think we're cool, want our kids to approve of us. And so we would be tempted to under-discipline, under-train, go easy where we need to be firm, to be hazy where we should be clear, to say hard things that, that need to be said, even when it would be easier just to gloss over and move on. If, on the other hand, our identity comes from the success of our kids and our standing that will come from my boy and my daughter, then we'll be too hard on them, over-discipline them, force them to be perfect because our identity comes from our, our daughter's GPA or our son's performance or following in our footsteps or getting into the school. Our identity coming from our children either way, though, will crush our children and ultimately crush us as well. Our identity, dads, is not to come from the fact that we are a father, but from the fact that we have a father, a perfect father who loves us and gave his son for us. And we're not going to always get it right. We're sinners saved by grace. And on our good day and bad day, we can look to him and receive help and receive mercy. I just feel like God is calling some of us to run into his presence to obtain mercy and help in time of need. And that we need to come to him to be planted in his house. The trees of the Lord are full of sap. 
And I wonder if for some of you, you don't, as a dad, need today, if, if the reason for you being a part of this broadcast wasn't so God could lift up your head. You're basing your identity, your performance as a father on how your kids are doing or how they feel about you. And you instead need to look to your father and how he looks to you and loves you, loves you so much that he trains you, disciplines you when he needs to, but then counsels you. He's a wonderful counselor and will sit there and listen to you and advise you. He's so patient with you. He's so gentle with you. And from that spirit flowing out of how that dynamic works with you and your father, you then can pivot as a sinner, willing to be vulnerable, owning your faults to your kids, running that up the, the flagpole and repenting, serving and, and seeking the good of your home, seeking for your children to flourish, seeking for your wife to flourish. If your goal, if your mindset is, I want to nurture, I want to serve, I want to give what's needed in the moment so that my kids can flourish. And that's why being a part of the house matters. That's why giving matters. That's why it's a, it's a priority for, for them to sit under the teaching of God's word and see you doing the same. The serving of our, see all of these things, our kids hear what we say but do as we do. I think in the church world, it's easy for us, well, it's easy for me to focus on Ezra ministry. This comes naturally to me, by the way. I've had to learn Nehemiah ministry. 10 years ago, we introduced an initiative. We said, let's begin giving grants out. It'll be baby steps at first. It doesn't make sense with the budget, and it hasn't always been easy. But we fostered that muscle and built that muscle. We're learning how to speak up in that voice of Esther speak up, leveraging privilege, leveraging royal position for such a time as this. In the home, though, I, I wonder if it's not inverted. As dads, what comes naturally to us is the physical needs of our family. The Nehemiah, we need a wall, we need a gun, we need a, right, we need to save for college. And we, 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 Nehemiah comes easy. <laughs> and every dad has an easy time becoming Esther and raising his voice. It comes real natural to yell. It comes real natural. We don't, I don't need to encourage any of you dads in raising your voice, probably. But what we perhaps find the hardest is to rise up with the mantle of Ezra and to be a spiritual pastor in our home. And I want to encourage you, dad, to see yourself in that role, to see yourself as a shepherd. A shepherd, all these seven things that I, that I spelled out, heads up, seven up. It's all about knowing when the sheep needs to be anointed, knowing when the sheep needs to be fed, knowing when the sheep needs to be watered, knowing when the sheep needs to be protected. And that is what I'm praying that God would give you the grace to see and the strength that's at your back, the Holy Spirit pushing you and propelling you into uncharted territory as you would shepherd and lead and pastor in your own home. Eugene Peterson said, and I'm going to close with these words, Worship is the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of God. So above all things, prioritize worship in your home and in your heart. Jesus, we thank you for this time in your presence. Thank you that the name Ezra means God helps. And I speak that over every father. They're not alone in this. God helps. God helps. God helps. If you're receiving the help from God today as a dad, could you just raise up a hand? Just raise up a hand. God sees you. God sees you. Moms, kids, if you're in the room, put your hand on your dad's shoulder. God helps. 
Speak that over them. God helps. There's help from God for this man. There's help from God for this shepherd, this leader in the home. God helps. God helps. You can put your hands down. I want to invite anybody watching this webcast who's never put their faith in Jesus, who would be ashamed to end this broadcast without giving you space to do that. It's the most important decision you could ever make. The Bible says Jesus died on the cross for you and rose from the dead on your behalf. And if you receive him as your savior, he will come into your heart and be your Lord. There will be this dynamic, energizing influence in your life, helping you make the right decision. God helps you. He doesn't help those who help themselves. He helps those who can't help themselves. In this moment, receive that grace. Receive him. Just say right now, I receive that grace. Just let your lips whisper it. Even now, I receive that help. I can't save myself. Pray this. I can't save myself. But Jesus, I believe you can. Make me new. I give myself to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.